if y'all are ready, we'll go into this new intro here uh, that I was sent as a suggestion. So, y'all let me know what you think. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll do it live! Fuck it! That's tomorrow, and that is it for us today. I'm Bill O'Reilly, thanks again for watching. We'll leave you with Sting and a cut off his new album. Take it away. Man. As business owners, entrepreneurs, family men, <laughs> it's difficult for us to find the time to put together projects like these. Even though it's something we really want to do, unfortunately, taking care of the things we have to take care of comes first. However, because of viewer support for people like you, we're able to continue doing this. Please consider joining our Patreon and supporting the Burn and Return podcast. Listening to Burn and Return, a weekly one hour podcast covering news from the agricultural and turfgrass industries. With the DJ Scratch, that means we are live. Welcome to, well, <laughs> that means we are recording. Welcome to another episode of uh, Burn and Return. Uh, my name is Matt. Sometimes I go by the grass factor. The last name is Martin. I actually use my real identity on here uh, for whatever reason, for what it's worth. It's probably, it's probably not the wisest thing to do, but at some point you just have to chalk it up and say, I'm in too deep at this point. What is it? What is that? Song? There's a three, six mafia song. Uh, I'm in it too deep to get out now. Uh, they always told me death was the only way out. So I guess I guess that's where I'm at at this point, and uh, it is it is what it is. Alongside me, we have uh, Ryan Demand, Ray Ito, gentlemen. How in the hell are you doing? Well, uh, I'm I'm doing good. Uh, we missed last week. I was sick. I was uh, uh, a week away from probably being a star in NubHub. Uh, if you're a uh, a frequent listener and know what that's all about, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, my legs do not smell like Lieutenant Dan or corn, so uh, I'm all good to go. And uh, yeah, it's all gravy, baby. So Ray, how about you? What's going on down there? Well, business as usual. Uh, otherwise, I can't complain, right? Can't complain. Uh, glad so. to know we do not have Lieutenant Demay with us today. Uh, that's that is I know. positive. No, that, that, that was that just means... such a scary freaking thing i mean really <laughs> yeah that was scary yeah, i mean that's that's one more week we get to avoid the shrimping boat if i if i recall correctly and uh yeah you know what that's fine i i although i will say i will say look when i retire which isn't isn't going to be much longer i'll, I'll, I'll mm. be honest with you okay i'm i'm 36 <laughs> i'm going i'm going on 57 all right and uh, i have made a bunch of strategic decisions to my life up at this point that you know 
I'm trying. I'm trying to retire it by a certain age because I know just physically I'm not going to be able to handle it. But you, but you, you know the insanity of it all. You know the insanity of it all. I want to retire and commit myself to the type of work that is going to put me in the face of death day in and day out. Is that not just the most extreme psychopathic thing that you could possibly do? Like literally. And you can talk to my wife about this. Our our idea uh, post post work career is to is to live on a boat in the ocean and then eventually we're going to get to the point where you know we we want to uh we want we want to set up an establishment in a very very remote island in the middle of nowhere and be completely <laughs> self-sustained it's it's psychotic it's insane i'll probably end up dying of typhoid fever or in a horrific storm in the sea and i i to be honest i think i'd rather go that way I would, I would, I, you know, I'd rather be on a Bubba Gump shrimp boat and, uh, and, and take a lightning bolt to the chest rather than, you know, a slow drawn out. Oh, Matt, Matt got the old, uh, uh, you know, the, I don't know, insert whatever, you know, takes you 10 years to kill you kind of disease. Yeah. Right. You know, like, yeah, he's just slowly rotting away. He's got ALS and he's not, he's not going to make it back from this one. You know, it's like, man, I don't want to deal with all that. Like, let me, let me catch, let me catch a lightning bolt to the chest and I'll just, I'll just get out of here. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. I have no idea how we got there. By the way, speaking of good news, boys, let's check out this week's headlines. It was a terrible segue too. Wow, what am I doing? Who am I? Is this thing on? <laughs> no. we put the lightning bolt on your ass instead of in your chest? I give a, no. give a preference I, on where the lightning bolt goes. I want it in my chest. Right. I mean, just turn the heart off. Hit me you know with that I mean? shit. I love to get lightning on. I, I'm a fan of electricity at this point in my life. Um, the Hill. Uh, this article is from The Hill here. And uh, and so there's there's a couple things here. And this is something I actually want to talk about with Aldo on this upcoming, uh, upcoming week's um, uh, what, what is the word I'm looking for? Thirsty Thursday. Thirsty Aldo's going to be on J. Laveau. Um, and, uh, Aldo is a turf grass student currently. And, uh, and there's, there's some things going on in the background that are, uh, being talked about, but not really making it to the news yet. So we're probably not going to talk about it here, but, uh, some, some issues with EPA and, uh, things potentially being pulled from the market, things coming onto the market. And, uh, and I, and I think these policies that are, that are starting to show up here are going to be worthwhile. So, uh, we're going to talk about one of the University of Tennessee videos uh, that came out of Turf Tuesday from uh, from from this past April, and, uh, and I want to talk about that with Aldo. And I think this, I'm, I want to talk about the congressional impact, right? And uh, and I think this article plays into it too, right here in a in a little bit of a, a different but similar way. Uh, from Fetterman here, uh, agriculture can't cannibalize climate change funding. Uh, federal funds aimed at helping agriculture address the effects of climate change must not be rated to fund agriculture as a whole, said Senator John Fetterman. Uh, his move comes as congress- congressional Republicans suggest defunding agricultural conservation programs entirely. I strongly oppose any measures that would essentially cannibalize the uh, Inflation Reduction Act conservation funding in order to pay for the Farm Bill conservation efforts, he wrote in a letter. The Inflation Reduction Act is the climate stimulus package the Democrats uh, passed along party lines last September. It contains $19 billion allocated for helping agriculture adapt to the climate crisis. 
Now that money is up for grabs as part of the wider negotiations over the $1.4 trillion farm bill and an omnibus of food supporting subsidies and legislation that is is passed every five years. Uh, Republicans are seeking to loosen or cut any restriction tying that climate funding towards federal conservation programs. Some want to go as far as redirect all federal climate funding to the farm bill's baseline budget, essentially turning it into a catch-all slush fund. The Idaho Capital Sun reported. Ranking member John Boozman of Arkansas has voiced support for redirecting the entire $39 billion of the Farm Bill Conservation Funding, not just the climate-specific stimulus money, to the baseline budget, according to the Capital Sun. That's part of a broader argument between the properties about the role of the climate funding in the bill. In a discussion with the committee, Boozman implied that he'd like to see that money go to crop insurance programs, which have been pressed by a rising number of extreme weather events. Certainly, we're not going to try and tie our safety nets, our risk management tools that our farmers desperately need around uh, to being climate friendly. Uh, This statement represents a widening gulf between the two parties. Climate scientists generally agree that, at least in the case of flooding, heat and drought, these rising damages are largely uh, attributable to climate change. Uh, Democrats like Agriculture Committee Chairwoman Debbie Stabenow have argued against cuts to popular programs like the Environmental Quality Incentives Program and the Conservation Stewardship Program. Uh, They don't have the money uh, to keep up with the demand from farmers. More than two-thirds of farmers and ranchers who apply for EKIP are typically rejected, according to the Institute of Agricultural and Trade Policy. While IRA money money must go to agriculture, there's no legal requirement for it to meet any specific climate or conservation measures, and it could be moved away from the ECAP and directed towards other programs. And it goes on to talk a bit more about that. It ends as, uh, you know, in addition to extreme weather, inflation, and supply chain interruptions have strained other farm support programs like crop insurance, and some conservative members are proposing that climate funds be siphoned off to address other needs. Uh, congressional Republicans, by contrast, passed legislation this week seeking to repeal 500 bo- $540 billion in climate stimulus funds as a condition for the generally routine move of extending the debt ceiling or the amount of money the federal government can borrow. Uh, and and there's, there's, there's kind of a lot to un- unpack here, right? And uh, the, here's the thing, is that when the government says we're allocating money for this, and then the other side of the government is says, uh, no, uh, we we instead of the spending money on that, we should spend it on this. And then the other side is saying, no, it really should spend on this. But what ends up happening, and I think this is one of the things I read not too long ago, was that the uh, the, the government just accidentally lost you know three hundred billion dollars last year, right? And I don't believe any of these people with whatever they're talking about. I don't believe that there is a genuine effort in this nineteen billion dollars for helping agriculture adapt to the climate crisis. I don't, I don't, I don't fucking believe them a little bit. It's it it says yes that that's what we want to do on paper. I don't think that's how it would work out. And then the other side saying that uh, no, we need to uh, bolster crop insurance because of the uh, impact that's had on it due to the the conditions that have been happening, or, or you know a, a, a select. Uh, uh, back to back to back to back to years of of issues that have uh, depleted uh, those accounts. I don't fucking believe them either. I don't believe any of these fucking people. I don't think they give a shit. Uh, I think it's all fucking talk, and I think it's all on paper just to be able to say and point and claim moral superiority over the group, and no one gives an absolute fuck about what's actually taking place. And that's my take on it, and you can call me a cynic, you can call me whatever you want, whatever you want. But the fact of the matter is, is that everything that government involves itself in, uh, especially in private business, ends up turning into absolute total fucking shit, absolute total fucking shit. And all these people are fucking scumbags from the top to the bottom, to the left, to the right. They're all fucking pieces of shit, fucking scumbags. 
And if they want to come kick in my fucking door and uh, accost me for whatever hate speech, or you can call me, what is the, what is the other one now? Domestic terrorist or whatever, uh, 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 whatever, whatever you want to fucking categorize me in. That's fine. Go fuck yourself. You're all fucking pieces of shit. Fuck you. There it is. There's my take on this. <laughs> my goodness. Oh, uh, tell us, tell us how you really feel, Matt. Because uh, oh yeah, and then when they're done, right. they can go fuck themselves and fuck you. Yeah, because uh, you know what? Here's my take on it. The phrase "climate change" has essentially become a catch-all and a justification for government control and collectivism and authoritarianism. It is all bullshit, okay? And if it's not about that, it's all about these feel-good measures that basically export all of our dirty deeds and our dirty laundry to other places. Because we always talk about how, okay, we're going to take away everybody's gas lawnmower and make people use lawnmowers that run on lithium batteries. Well, guys, guess where the hell the lithium comes from? Right? Where does the lithium come from? Not from here in the USA. And where does the... And you know what's fucking that... crazy about that is that we've got a yeah. fucking mine in, in Nevada right now that is so caught up in bureaucratic red tape that everyone is sitting <laughs> around with their fucking fist elbow deep up their ass wondering who's going to get the first fucking shot at it. And no one knows. You know why? Because it's so fucking wrapped in bureaucracy that, that of course, we're going to have to keep importing it. And of course, and, and what, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. What do you think has a bigger environmental impact? Mining operations in the United States or mining operations in whatever other country that it's coming from? Okay. I'm going to tell you that at the end of the day, i rather have a mine or some other manufacturing operation within the United States. And do you know why i rather have it within the United States, Matt? Why? Because. I know that there will not be flagrant pollution. I also know that there will not be child labor involved, okay? Because I know lately it's been all over the news. Oh, my God. They're letting people under 18 work. Well, you know what, you assholes? Please explain to me why I see pictures of these little children in Africa trudging around up to their knees in mud and filth and dirt mining why do i see pictures like that matt explain that because to it's fucking happening yeah yeah i mean you can't make this shit up and so and here's my other question now if we place the kind of bureaucratic restrictions that the administration wants to place on agriculture within the United States in the name of addressing climate change. Matt, where does our food come from then? Tell from me, countries man. that don't give it. No, it comes from countries that give no shits about the environment or the climate or otherwise, okay? They don't give a damn. Because, you know, Matt, uh, the other day, you sent me that 
the government report, I was a little bit horrified, you know. I was just mildly horrified. And you know why I was mildly horrified? Hmm. It is because that proved to me that in other countries, they are not as concerned, for example, about pesticide residues as, say, the United States is. They're not as concerned. <laughs> and we get fucking shit on for that at an unreal yeah. level, right? And you know where it's directed? Yeah. And this is what's what infuriates me about this whole fucking thing is that we can talk all this talk about all this money we're allocating for all these programs and all these outreach. Mm -hmm. And we're putting all these high-powered people in these positions that are drawing big-ass fucking salaries. And the government is out here. We're taking care of you. And we're saving the planet. And we're doing this. And you know what? And you know what? You... When we take a look at the pesticide residues of other countries, right, you're going to see elevated levels. We're, we're way, 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 way restricted here Lord, in, the, in the way that yeah. is. But you know what? If you fucking turn on the news right now, or you fucking open social media, you open Google, it's glyphosate is poisoning you. Glyphosate is in your cereals. Glyphosate mm. is in your milk. Glyphosate is in this. Glyphosate is in that. And of all the fucking boogeymen to point at, right? Let's talk about neonic residues that are hanging out. You know, let's talk about organophosphates that are hanging out at, oh, yeah. at yeah. 10x the fucking standard that we have here in the United States. Why is mm -hmm. the benign substance the fucking boogeyman in this instance? And you know why? Because they don't fucking care. They honestly do not fucking care. It's all about pointing at the other side and saying, no, I have moral superiority. And the other one saying, no, I have moral superiority. And the only thing they're jockeying for is more fucking power and more fucking money to waste it all. Look at our fucking debt situation that we have going on right now. And someone's going to say, well, it's because Trump spent all the money. Of course he fucking spent all the money. And look at the fucking presidents before that. They spent all the fucking money too because they don't give a fuck about you. They don't give a fuck about me. They're not here to take care of us. They're not here to take care of anybody. Rely on yourself, motherfucker. Quit thinking that these people will do fucking anything to make your life better. It's all a facade. Your life is your responsibility. Your family is your responsibility. The rest of it is complete and total fucking make-believe. Complete and total fucking make-believe. <laughs> Demake, you wanna you wanna you wanna pour a little sugar on this uh, on this boiling <laughs> pot of water here and try to sweeten it up a little bit. <laughs> a right. boiling pot of rage, and I'm about to explode. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe hit it with a fire extinguisher or something. I don't know. Just don't throw oil <laughs> in it. All right. Let me let me first address the article and the fact mm. that I forgot about the jo article. Yeah. Jockeying. Yeah. For position here and saying that this is lobbying 101 right here of what's going on right lobbying 101 in which the agriculture lobby is saying we'd rather have that in the form of crop insurance payments because we know we're going to get that to a wider subset of our people right that are mm -hmm. going to be affected and that are going to turn around and say hey you helped us out here's some more money help us out some more right so there's that aspect of it the conservation I, you know, idea has been, that, that, that program has been in place, or the programs, I should say, have been in place for a long time. And I think they've worked where they should. There's definitely people that are abusing the system. And I, don't, I have no doubt in my mind that when you throw $19.5 billion at the situation, 
but there's going to be other people waiting in the wings. Now, we talked about some of this previously when they first announced this. This was back in like February, something like that, maybe even a little bit earlier that they announced this after the signing and that, that this money would be rolling out. Some of this is going towards enhanced fertilizer technology. Some of it's going into other places, right, that aren't necessarily conservation related to land per se, but into other technological aspects, right, of agriculture. So I think it is a good thing in that sense, but what it's being portrayed as is that it's all based on climate change and it's all tied back into that. And while that can be an overarching goal and that's fine, like the messaging here, the narrative is what gets lost in the wash and that's what fucks this whole thing up, right? And that's what makes it a, a wedge issue, right? Of, well, if you just said it was conservation, then hey, no problem, no harm, no foul. But now that you say it's, you know, for climate change specifically, now one side's got a problem with it and the other side's got to fight and claw and scratch and everything like that. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that part of it plays out. I mean, and, and again, we're talking about, you know, uh, $19.5 billion, really $40 billion when you add in the other conservation fund uh, programming or program funds that exist. So $40 billion in a $1.2 or $1.3 trillion bill, right? Time's Which is up, the farm it's bill. over pennies right we're talking about pennies in the grand scheme of things and that's what they're fighting over so again it's just a wedge issue and to matt's point yes you're right matt it's a zero-sum game there are no winners because it's not it's not meant to have winners right it's meant to continue the continuation of power the 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 coalescing of power right and there's really no end game in sight so yeah, we'll see what happens. In in the show notes, I threw we're going to throw a link in there. I just sent it to Jay Pink and it actually <laughs> spells out uh all all of these different programs and uh you know, you you'll have to take the um uh the, the individual dollar amounts and place them to them, but it it at least spells out the purposes and all the other shit that's going into all of it. And uh and then if you if you, if you want to have a real good time, look at the people that are managing these, the, the teams of people that are managing these and see what their qualifications are. And, and actually, Ben, I have not done that. But uh, if it's a government program, I have to bet that the people that are going to be managing this are uh, probably not the people you want to have managing it. I'll just say that. Uh, moving oh, no. on. And uh, <laughs> what, what were you going to say, Ray? Oh, no. Because you see, at the end of the day, Matt, this ain't about the money or about how much is being spent. This is all about the actual agenda. Okay? This is not about money because you see, Matt, at this point in time, I don't care about the dollar amounts. I basically worry more about what is actually going to happen to me, you, and people as a whole. What is the end game here? That's what people actually ought to be thinking about. It's not about the damn money. It's like, fuck the money because the money is just a distraction. And, I, and, the, right? and this is, I, I, I want to I, I pause you right there and I want to continue this conversation actually with Aldo since he's, he's in a turf grass program and, and, and Ray and Ryan, I'll share the link with you that I'm, I'm talking about and kind of timestamp it. Mm -hmm. That's uh, the new EPA things that are, that are starting to come and where, where this money is going to get appropriated and how it gets shuffled around. And then the things that fall into the, uh, under the microscope and then how that passes down into lawn care specifically is where I start to get my feathers really, 
really ruffled. And and honestly, this outburst that I'm having right now is a lot of it just because I've been reading into that. And uh, mm-hmm. and and I and you know, it's it's under this uh, it, you know this guise of conservation. It's under this guise of you know directed programs and outreach and blah 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 blah. But then what ends up happening is a bunch of bullshit that ends up affecting us right in a, in a very real and large way. And then we have to figure out how to, how to deal with it on the back end. So anyway, we'll get into that with Aldo because I think it's something that he getting into this has to be even more cognizant of, uh, because, uh, because you know, it's all about your strategy, right? And that becomes part of your marketing plan and your business model and so on and so forth. So I think it's a conversation worth having there. Uh, next up here, our, uh, Oh yes. Joe knows turf. Hi, I'm Joe. I'm gonna give you a bunch of accurate turf facts today because Joe knows turf. <laughs> now you may or may not know this, but uh, we all—well, I don't know about Ray. I know uh, Jay Pink, Matt, and I do. We all wear this little whoop device. And uh, we're not sponsored by them in any way, shape, or form. But uh, we're on a, a little community. So if you are in the uh, the Dirty Deeds community, you are a member of Patreon, and uh, you want to get down with us, uh, again, uh, the way to check that out, <laughs> www.patreon.com forward slash burn and return. Check us out on there. You can hang out. You can even look at Matt's heart rate, which I have been doing very closely here for the last 30 minutes. And I thought, you know, um, we ought we to ought crank it up a notch here. Because right now, Matt, between the pre-show, the headlines, and now Jono's turf, we, we, we've just got to send it to the stratosphere. Matt, is there any thunderstorms forecast for uh, uh, the, the greater Knoxville area here anytime soon? I just want to make sure you don't take a lightning bolt to the chest. No, I'm good. But uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking back. My stress monitor was at a 2.5, by the way. Yeah, uh, that's, on that's, a scale of 1 to 3, I was at a 2.5. So uh, yeah, it's, not, it's not good. Feeling so, good. All right, well, listen, stand out on the poop deck and ahoy, mateys. Let's go ahead and watch our friend. Uh, we we got to get this guy on here. We need an intervention soon. Guys, he's back. It's the Lawn Barber. Hey, what's up, guys? So I know the video I forgot to post last week. I've been really behind on posting. I posted a video about putting out new grass seed. We put we're smart patch for this whole area here. Now, since then, put down straw. And the, the video that you're about to watch is going to show you an additional product we put on top of this one and straw and topsoil. So just stay Pause. tuned. This one. Now, here's how I like to frame this, ladies and gentlemen, is, uh, you know, this gentleman is in the uh, South Carolina area, I believe, Charleston. I can't say for certain, but in any event, uh, he is trying to seed uh professionally uh, uh bermuda grass in a backyard here somewhere in the south carolina area and we'll we'll talk about some of the uh, limitations and constraints that he's got to work with here but i just want to keep in mind and have you guys keep in mind as far as the teaching aspect of this you know folks that are getting ready to make repairs to uh, warm season areas we're actually going to talk about that a little bit on our returns but in this segment People that are getting ready to make those types of repairs, what they might think about doing if you were the ones making said repairs in certain areas. So let's go ahead and watch what old boy here does. 
one says supposed to grow in seven days so it's been two weeks since this has been put down and the other product it's been a week so you can see that it sprouted up just a little bit in some areas but it's still gonna take a little time even though it says you see growth in a little as seven days but you got to give it time so make sure you like subscribe um, whatever platforms videos on and we're about to get right into it you know what i know darn well why that bermuda faded out into dirt yeah, hey, why don't you go ahead and set the set the set the scene for us here? What for the folks that are listening on audio only? Again, you can find us on your favorite podcast platform. You don't have to wait and just look at our ugly mugs on YouTube. You can go to Apple Podcasts. You can go to Spotify. You can go to uh, Porn Store Peep Show booth and probably find us in there too. <laughs> I, I I know I, we're you there. Find all of us in there. Yep, we're there. So anyway, but set the scene here for us, Ray. What are we looking at? In terms of the audio only okay. users. Okay, guys, uh, the lawn barber is attempting to establish Bermuda grass seed in areas of the yard that only get sunlight when the sun is directly overhead of that area. The rest of the day, the sun is blocked by various structures such as a gazebo and a house. In fact, the worst affected area as far as loss of turf is the corridor walkway between the house and the gazebo. I mean, mm -hmm. I looked at that and I would be wasting my customers' time telling them to reseed Bermuda in such an area. I tell them, no, guys, you know what? You're going to either have a shade garden or you're going to have decorative pebbles but you're not having grass here because you ain't got enough sun to even grow grass you know <laughs> all right uh, let's watch this yeah. is just oh 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 yeah yeah let's let's keep no, going yeah. <laughs> sunday oh is this oh, a comparison have... of two different See? One's in a bag, one is in a bottle. What's up, guys? No. Okay. Lawn barber, so one wasn't working, so we're doing Come something else now. Seven days later to look at this area, and it's still... So we're going to put on more. Yeah. Now you see some Pause. of the shoots have come up. Okay, so J-Pink, throw that, that uh, uh, screen grab I just sent over to you here. All right, so this is Charleston, which I did verify. This is generally where this gentleman is located. Charleston, South Carolina. And if we're looking at temps here, I don't know when he did this. He said two weeks. You know, we're in the the 60s into the 70s for the week of the 9th. Uh, this is going back into April. Uh, 70s into the 80s, the week of the 16th. Pretty much uh, mid-70s, the week of the 23rd. And lows are anywhere from, you know, the lower 40s all the way up into the 60s. So I would not expect to see any real germination on bermuda grass seed anywhere close to these types of temperatures uh not just air but not soil temperatures right and in a shaded environment that's not getting full sun it's not going to heat that soil up so let's go ahead and uh 
Ray, were you going to say something? Keep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you combine that with low daytime and nighttime temperatures, and there is no way in the world I expect Bermuda to even germinate, never mind thrive in such an area, because that area is also probably going to be the first to die in the winter. Okay, right, it's going to be the first to die. <laughs> oh, Bermuda. There's some sporadic here and there. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to use a different product. Stay tuned. But first, got to make sure we cut the grass before we put down the seed here. So make sure you like, subscribe, follow whatever platform this video is on. And we're going to dive right in. I do like that shirt. Jay Pink here. So full, this full is the man. second time in two minutes that he's told us to like, subscribe on whatever platform we find this video. Just saying. <laughs> Gotta get the lawn mode here. Is that an ego? Yep. Alright. Alright, alright. Let's see what old boy does. Oh boy. We get the bags of topsoil now. Lord. There's already <laughs> seed planted. You missed the, the music on this one for you, J Pink. No, that's fine. Uh I'm okay with that. So he's yeah. stacking uh, several cubic uh, seven days ago, cubic foot bags of, of evergreen patch. topsoil, which is like it ground bark. This is about 150 square feet. This whole area here, all through here, and this patch. Look at that shade here. line. Look how perfect that is. Isn't it amazing? Uh huh. But yes. today, yeah, I want to add a little bit to it. So we're gonna go with the Sunday seed and feed. Bermuda grass blend. Ooh. Uh, I'm going to look up the label while we're doing this. Uh-huh. Probably pixie dust. A little bit of cocaine. And some... Probably like some Princess 77. You know, that they got an old... old they got a good deal on an old lot of that. Maybe. <laughs> Patriot. Maybe some Patriot. He just didn't put music here. I I did not mute this. I it's I know just it's it, silent. silent it's film like watching a thing. a nineteen twenty silent film. Got it. <laughs> oh boy. All right, so he's raking the soil out. Weird transition there. I just had a seizure. So I found my setting here. I'm not going with a smaller one. I'm gonna go right in the middle with this one so we can spread it evenly and uh i don't even know yeah, what this thing is they make a Jeez. thing chicken they make a chicken feeder yep that's what that is what happened to pour it on piece? ryan Fuck, 30 years of practice 30 years of practice for nothing guys god damn Steven the geese <laughs> oh man one down <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Fast forward a little bit here. He's just shaking it all out. So we know what setting we're using on this Vigoro spot shaker. Matt, how often yeah. do you use the Vigoro spot shaker in your... Uh, zero. Point zero. Last thing we want to do is make sure we get this 
Dang watered here. I've never used one of those either, Ryan. We'll have to do a we'll have to do a, a, a collab uh, review on those. You know, put it on our <laughs> store, our highly curated website of things to sell. All right, so old boy waters just he throws the straw, in, but yeah, like you can see in the previous Boiled part down. of the video. So we got the product down, we got the top soil down, we wet it. I know this area probably has a little more fertilizer than Time's up, need, it's but, over. I mean, with the mixture and everything. But this spot was really, really bald. No grass growing at all. So we got it all hose down. We still had two more bags. So this area took about 18 bags, one cubic feet bags. Okay, pause. Um, All right, ladies and gentlemen, here's the moral of the story. Okay. I'll let you guys talk about the, you know, real quick and give your summation if you've got areas like this that are not in shade and do not have site constraints that would prevent you from growing grass there. You know, what your your quick and dirty tips are on patching Bermuda grass, either from seed or from uh, plugs. But here's the thing. And people are going to be like, well, you guys are getting on this guy and he's just trying to make a living and everything. I agree. But here is the definition of getting yourself better as a professional is figuring out why these things are taking place. Like somebody asked in the comments here, like, does he not know why the grass isn't growing there in the first place? You know, did he solve the issue? In this case, no, he didn't. I mean, this is just simply throwing more money at a problem. And who knows if, if he's already got, you know, he's already charged for this and he's trying to add more product to the situation. If he's charging the customer back, this is the kind of stuff that getting it right is what keeps you not only in business, but profitable, right? And also keeps yeah. you at a level of professionalism that makes you stand apart from your other peers that are just going to go out there and throw some topsoil down, throw some seed down, bill for the shit, and then have to explain why it didn't work, right? So I, the only reason I'm saying all this is that if this guy wants the help, I'd be glad to talk to him. I'd be glad to share the show with him and learn more about him and what he's trying to do, where he's come from, where he's trying to get to. But right now, man, like this is the kind of stuff that makes us all look bad. You can do better. You know, you can do better. You just got to want to do it better. So I'll leave it all to you on the, on the Bermuda grass patching. Just give a little bit of your educational knowledge because you know joe does know turf even if it's cedar bermuda grass and shade i you know the, the the first thing that stands out to me is that you know in in a lot of these situations it gets it's easy to get emotionally invested in it, especially if you have a customer that's breathing down your neck right like they're like i don't understand you've you've been treating my lawn for three years and i have this bare spot in the same place that is not getting any better and I, I, I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm done with it. I you put some seed down something. I, this is, this is not going to work. And you, because of that pressure that's fallen on you, you start to lose sight of just some simple common sense, uh, uh logical approaches. Right. And you know, what, what are the things that is, is pretty logical. And if you've, if you've gone into a backyard, a shaded backyard, uh, or a one that you have trees kind of surrounding your backyard and then various structures in your backyard. A lot of times that area right off the back porch, um, depending on which way the face, the house faces is it's landscaped there. You'll see it's it dip, right off the dip. porch. You'll have yeah. a line of landscaping running right down there, just like you do in the front of the house, right? 
in the front of the house, mm-hmm. what, do, what do people people typically have around the walkways walking into the front of the house? You typically have landscaping. And then sometimes it was super popular, especially, you know, he's down there in, in coastal Carolina. It was the same thing in Augusta, Georgia, when I was there. You go into a backyard, you have trees that surround the property. Look at these that are all surrounding this property that I can see right here. So while at 12 o'clock and at two, 2 o'clock, you may be full blasted sun right in the center of this. That may not be the entirety of the year. And that sure shit isn't going to be the entirety of the day, right? And if you've had a gradual decline of grass and specifically Bermuda grass, the only thing that will cause that level of decline that is non-repairable in Bermuda grass is shade. Bermuda grass will always find a way in an attempt to be able to come back. And when it doesn't, that tells you that it's just the wrong plant for the wrong place because shade is the only thing that is surefire to take out Bermuda grass. Literally, the only thing. A nuclear holocaust will not take out Bermuda grass. (laughs) Shade will. Um, And so when you're in this instance, you lose sight of that, probably because of external pressures that are going on. And then you forget, oh yeah, I do see that all the time. It does make sense. Maybe the best course of action right here is going to be a, uh, a case of uh, uh, hydrangeas, a couple of dwarf Japanese maples, maybe some camellias and uh, and some gardenias because I love the way they smell in the spring and I think you'll love them too. You'll love the fall mm-hmm. flowers of the, of the camellias. They're absolutely stunning. In fact, we can do a climbing one on a trellis in these two locations right here. They're going to blow your mind. And then right as we move into into summer, these hydrangeas are going to bust, and you know we it's going to be warm enough to start seeing uh, these uh, earlier than than later because we are where we are in South Carolina, and I think it's going to set this backyard on fire in a way that you've never been able to enjoy it before. Instead of worrying about the 150 square foot of grass, right? And then the profit margin on that is obviously going to be significantly higher too because now it's an install project versus a seed patch project, right? And so it's mm. it, you're solving the underlying issue. You're walking away with the customer that's happy, and you're not creating a customer that is now questioning your technical ability, that is questioning your intelligence, and is questioning whether or not they want you on your fucking property ever again. Because trying to grow seed in this, and two weeks later on a seven-day grow-in, it's not showing anything. In fact, the development of those plants that he showed in the video showed me that that was probably lingering pieces of Bermuda that existed beforehand that popped wow. up and was not new seed development back. because they yeah. would, yep, they would literally be baby hairs at that point. It yep. would be baby yep. hairs. That's the way Bermuda work. It's going to be a baby hair and then it's going to start. In fact, it would almost look like crabgrass or something is beginning to germinate at that point. It would not be that developed at all. So that was not the seed he was even looking at and demonstrating on video. At two weeks, it's not going to look like that period. If you've had enough experience, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, so anyway, point being is that I think something rattled him and led him to believe that this was the best course of action and you lose sight of that. And so my warning is to that everyone out there is that when you get rattled in these situations, even if that means, Hey, let me come back. Let me go back. Think about what the best course of action is. And then we'll draw up a game plan together. Sometimes you have to do that just because a customer gets in your head and you're tired of them yelling at you or whatever. Take a second, mm. take a break, look at all your options before just spinning off whatever comes to the top of your head while you're standing there in front of them. Okay. You know what this situation tells me? Right away, as soon as you start managing a property, those kind of areas are the kind of areas that I identify right from the start. And when people tell me the grass isn't doing so well here, I tell them, you know what? How would you feel about this area being something besides half-dead grass? 
How would you feel about this being foliage plants, ferns, orchids, or else if you're not into that, how would you feel cannabis about the yeah yeah how would you feel about this being some kind of a structured hardscape with you know pebbles and bricks and pavers you know something because I tell them the worst thing to have to look at and deal with is a goldang mud patch right off of your back porch. That's just no Boy, good, right? That's no bueno. They, yeah, if they no didn't bueno. have a so, good one before, they get a great one now. Yeah, yeah. They, they've got a fabulous mud patch, and that's no good. So I tell people, this is where you go look at wherever. In, I tell people straight off, you go look at whatever areas in the lawn that are not doing well in the shade. I tell them, I cannot manage, maintain, or apply anything to them that will make them better. Those are the areas that you think about how you want to re-landscape them. I head this off right from the beginning. So it's not like I've been fucking with it for a couple of years. It never gets better. And it looks like I'm not doing anything to address it. <laughs> you know, that's... You know, because I think this is the case of this situation, is that he's been messing around with it, and no, he's in trouble. And Mrs. Grady is telling him, hey, lawn boy. You better get grass growing here or else. Yeah, and I it's it's a tough situation. <laughs> and I hope I hope he'll see this and and maybe the second time around he'll he'll want to come on. It'd be great. It'd be wonderful. All right, Jay yeah, Pink, let's go ahead good. and jump on over to the burn. Sheila has taken many lightning bolts to all the orifices of her body. <laughs> you know, when it, when it comes to professionalism, you know, we, we try to take something and provide a little bit of comedic relief to it. Right. And, uh, and then, and then give our professional perspectives of it. And the, the reason why we highlight these things is because at the end of the day, uh, there's a very seriousness to what we do, and there's a, a, a serious amount of uh, responsibility involved because we are handling things that, when handled misproperly or improperly, bad shit happens. Okay, uh, when we think about some of the biggest disasters that have happened in the history, uh, you know, think about pesticide disasters that have happened. Hello, Bhopal, right? Um, mm -hmm. it is, it is, a, uh, I, no joke <laughs> as to what's going on. Case in point, two pesticide company workers died and prompts a Pompano, uh, Pompano beach warehouse investigation, uh, two deaths and oh, one gosh. hospitalization in Palm beach in Broward counties prompted investigation on Tuesday at a warehouse in Pompano beach, according to city and county officials. There was a hazardous and toxic materials investigation at the Bears Furniture Warehouse at 1589 Northwest 12th Avenue after detectives uncovered a connection to the three cases, according to Sandra King, a spokeswoman for the, for the city. As a precaution, there were few ambulances and paramedics on standby. Workers evacuated the warehouse and waited under a tent and in cars in a parking lot near the warehouse's loading dock until a hazmat team cleared the warehouse on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, uh, anyway, the. Uh, uh, Broward Sh Sheriff's County uh, Sheriff's Office spokesman reported detectives learned the three were employees of a pesticide company that had conducted work at the Bears Furniture Warehouse until Saturday afternoon. Later that day, one of the employees began to feel ill and went to a hospital in Palm Beach County. 
It was discovered later that day that the other two employees were found dead. One was found dead in Hollywood and the other one in Boynton Beach. Detectives with the Boynton Beach and Hollywood Police Departments are investigating the two deaths. The medical examiner's office in Broward and Palm Beach counties were investigating the cause of the deaths. Another hazmat team was involved after police officers found a med dead in a vehicle on Saturday night near the area of Taft Street and North 17th Avenue. No hazardous chemicals were found coming from the vehicle. Uh, the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services reported the deaths of the pesticide company employees after working at the warehouse to the EPA. Uh, a Bears Furniture representative released a statement, uh, you know, reporting that none of the company's employees at the warehouse had died. So from what I understand is that they were using a fumigant in these locations. And the oh, uh, active ingredients of the fumigant is that by the time you realize that uh, you've been exposed, it's basically too late. And Ray, can you yeah. give us a rundown on what they were using and what you can expect and how quickly you can expect it if you have time to expect anything at all? Okay. Here's the typical fumigant that's now used in the United States for structural applications. It's called sulfural fluoride, okay? And this is a odorless, tasteless gas. And you basically have no idea that you're even inhaling hazardous amounts of it until you start to feel disoriented and weak. And so these poor people in this warehouse, here's what I guess happened. They were in this warehouse, and if they were fumigating, the warehouse was probably not properly ventilated after fumigation. And they went in the building, and of course, you're breathing this in, and next thing you know, all of your organs are just shutting down and you're done. And that can happen literally in less than 24 hours. So it's highly possible for somebody to be exposed, get in their car, try to drive away, but Oof. no, they don't even make uh, it home. And kind of so, like the boat retirement idea now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then here's my little question to this is normally, you know, when you're dealing with a fumigant in an enclosed area, if you have to enter and you don't have the gas detection meters stating that the concentration of the gases are below a toxic or fatal level, you're normally in SCBA gear. You're, you're basically breathing compressed oxygen. And so I don't, uh, I don't, I basically don't understand what these people were doing in that building that, that was, that had been fumigated. Mm. I, I really don't, I really don't know because this is something that happens very rarely. But when it does happen, basically there's there's no way to uh, turn it back or, or take it back because, again, this gas is not detectable because it's odorless. It's tasteless. Uh, there's very little warning that you've been poisoned even. Not until you 
become you know disoriented and incapacitated, then you know. And that's not to say Sad, that Matt. Oh, it's 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 horrible. I think the point that Matt's trying to drive home, and I think Ray, you you touched on it too, is just that you this is you're not going to die from a Bermuda grass backyard seating project, right? That's no. that's not the point. But the point is is that there is a, a a modicum of respect that you have to have for what you do day in and day out, and especially once you involve you know pesticides, even fertilizers, as hell. We saw the kid in Wisconsin last year that got hit by the, sh the shrapnel coming out of the mower. I mean, there are plenty of things that you can do wrong simply by being unprofessional, not noticing, not caring, you know, just being apathetic about what you're doing, lackadaisical, whatever you want to, you know, call it. Um, and it's unfortunate that, this, you know, here, you know, one person gets sick, two people die. Um, so, yeah, we hate to highlight situations like this, but. I think the moral of the story here is that, you know, get proper training, make sure that you're comfortable with what you're doing. And especially even if you're an employee and you're listening to this and there's something that you're not sure of, or you don't know what to do if there's something bad that happens, right. Or you don't know how to recognize the signs and symptoms that, you know, you could have, you know, been exposed to something or whatever. Talk to your boss about that. And if they're lukewarm or if they're not accepting of that, having that conversation, and you need to get the fuck out of there. Like straight up, you need to get the fuck out of there. That's not a good situation yep. to be in. And I've seen plenty of that too. And I'm sure Matt and Ray could probably attest of situations where the boss is, you know, it's falling on deaf ears when you say, hey, there's a situation here and I think it's unsafe. That is a sure sign that it's time to leave. ASAP. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because uh, true story now, you know what? kind of prompted my road towards self-employment is when I caught a manager repackaging chemicals into Gatorade bottles. <laughs> no, Same guy uh, that, that used that, uh, Ziploc bags for rubbers? Gotta be, but then <laughs> the because I basically, I, I basically told him too, hey, I, need a zip I know the rules a zip bag. on, on repackaging, you know, chemicals and yeah. the one prohibition that is like, you know, not negotiable, you may not mm -hmm. repackage into containers that resemble food or drink containers. And do you know why? So some bum doesn't uh, drink it. So some dummy doesn't uh, accidentally take a drink and uh, with tragic results. And so the reason why I brought that up is because not everything that he was repackaging was glyphosate. Yeah, yeah that'll do it. Okay, Th this was in the, in the early 2000s. So some of the things that were around then were, whoops, you know, <laughs> that shit will kill not you. Not good. But so speaking to your point, Ryan, mm -hmm. what I frequently hear of, especially in these companies that do structural pest control, is that the other than the guy that is actually responsible for calculating the dose of fumigant and dispensing it into the building, most of the other workers in that operation are 
minimally trained, and they're often treated as expendable. Okay, they're often treated as you know not clearly very in this valuable. Case. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because uh, I, I'm seeing what uh, Dan the Lawnman wrote in the comments, and because he's in that part of Florida, he said the building that they were fumigating had no ventilation, and they didn't have the proper reentry. PPE. So they basically mm -hmm. were sent into a building full of gas. Mm -hmm. My goodness. <laughs> My goodness. Not, not good. Well, <laughs> RIP to them. Sad to hear it. And uh, yeah, Ray's old boss, Sheila, if you're listening, he's got a uh, one gallon size dental dam ready to go for you. <laughs> Um, next up here, we have from Vale Daily, uh, why Vale joined the fight for local control around pesticide regulation. Legislative session offers once in a decade opportunity to lift state preemption in Colorado's Pesticide Applicators Act. Uh, of the many bills considered in the 2023 legislative session, the sunsetting of Colorado's Pesticide Applicators Act is one of them. The bill, which has passed the Senate and is under consideration in the House, would extend the act for another 11 years. And while Colorado's Pesticide Acts creates important regulations around the use of landscaping chemicals, including chemicals like pesticides, herbicides, and fertilizers, why would they list it as pesticides and herbicides? Pesticides is the all-encompassing <laughs> word there. I was fucking ignorant. Uh, Chris Dillman here. Chris Dick, Dick Headman. Dick Brainman. Smooth Brainman. Uh, environmental groups and municipalities <laughs> are concerned that it doesn't go far enough. As such, certain organizations and governments are advocating for lawmakers to lift state preemption uh, from the act to allow local governments to enact their own regulations around pesticides instead of relying on the current statewide standard. Joining these efforts has been Pete Wadden, Waden, Wadden advocating on behalf of the town of Vale. Wadden is the town's watershed specialist within its environmental sustainability department. Specifically, he has participated in a coalition with the People and Pollinators Action Network, which is representing numerous communities, nonprofits, and groups around the state in an effort to lift state preemption. The Northwest Colorado Council of Governments, Wadden said, has also been engaged in advocacy. The mm. act and regulations it provides are hugely important. Uh, if you look at the history of pesticides in the U.S. dating back to and before Rachel Carson publishing Silent Spring in the late 1960s, some of these chemicals were pretty unregulated and untested and were assumed to be safe until proven otherwise. Uh, for instance, DDT. Uh, the National Whoa. Institute of Health reports that pesticides can contaminate soil, water, turf, and other vegetation. In addition to killing insects or weeds, pesticides can be toxic to a host of other organisms, including birds, fish, beneficial insects, and non-target plants. When the government began, began regulating chemicals, uh, this included the creation of certifications to allow certain professions to use certain chemicals. Uh, laws around labels for chemicals, including ratings for where and uh, by who they could be used. Um, and it goes on and on and on. This is a once in a decade chance. They say Vail is a home rule municipality. We have the power to regulate a lot of things in that community. I don't see why this should be any different, especially when you consider how potentially dangerous and harmful and powerful these chemicals are. That's right. Just so, fucking, I need more power, more money. I regulate everything else. Why can't I regulate this too? It's your fucking fault. Go ahead. It's an interesting situation. Don't let me go on this. So, 
what they're what they're advocating against is what's known as local preemption, which means there are I can't remember how many states. I want to say twenty one, something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't, don't quote me, but uh, in, in which the state has a law in place that says that the local municipality or local sub political subdivision cannot regulate certain things that the state already does right so for instance uh ohio is a preemption state okay and um we we recently went through the same thing here where there are local municipalities that want to be able to regulate pesticide applications within their particular uh city village township whatever the case might be and the state has said and has made law now that says that pesticides and fertilizers are both covered and in the sense that they already have a state what they call a state scheme right there's a regulatory scheme that's set up already by the state to register pesticides to license pesticide applicators to recertify those uh, applicators and then to also make rules around storage handling record keeping all those types of things right um and then you know getting rid of old pesticides uh, when they go off of label or off market and then bringing new pesticides in as well. So that's essentially what Colorado has right now. What they're advocating for here is that, that that law, that preemption law should go away and that local municipalities should be able to set those rules uh, at the local level. And you can imagine the patchwork of bullshit that might ensue if you have that kind of regulation and not notwithstanding the fact that if you're in a densely populated metro area, say like in Denver, right, of knowing exactly mm-hmm. where you're at and what the rules are, depending on if you're on this side of the street or that side of the street, that could be cumbersome, right, for a business owner. And so that's kind of been a little bit of the pushback from the business owner on the, uh, on the side of, you know, lawn care, sports turf golf and all that sort of thing has been that, you know, we already have schemes in place to regulate this stuff. We've already got a whole, you know, setup in terms of, you know, how we get licensed, all that kind of stuff. There's no need to do this at the local level. The only thing that the local folks want, Matt, is what you're saying. They want more power and they want to say that, hey, this is our local community. We want to do what we want. And it should be the, and it should be that way. We're a home rule community, all that kind of stuff. That's all well and good. But if there's a state scheme in place, I don't understand how you could say that that's the case, right? Oh, I can see you, not, you don't know how? Because this is what it says. Vail is a home rule municipality. We have the right, the right, we have the power to regulate a lot of things in that community. I don't see why this should be any different. That's all it comes down to. There you go. We do it yeah. to everything else. Okay. Why not here? We do and it. then how does that okay. change when you treat lawns outside of Vail and then you have to come into Vail, right? I mean, think about it from that. You know and then I mean? All of a sudden, you got to go unload your truck. You can't carry this across the the county line, or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. It's insanity. Okay, and you know what these kind of regulations also affect? Management of invasive species. Because I know that Colorado is also an agricultural state, right? Ranching and agriculture is very important. However. The side effect from unreasonable regulations on pesticides, unfortunately, trickles back down to invasive species management. Because you know what happens when uh, you can't apply herbicides, for example? 
invasive species take over. And I want to know how does the community of Vale propose to protect the agricultural assets within the rest of the state? Because their decision not to control anything affects the rest of the state. I'm curious about that. You know, I'm I honestly know. curious. What, here's, a, here's a genuine question for both of you, real quick. Is mm -hmm. what would be worse, an outright ban by a community like Vale, or mm. a case-by-case, product-by-product basis for decision-making on what gets sprayed, where it can get sprayed, what rate, what time? What would be worse? What would you rather have to deal with? This is why we're $30 trillion in debt. <laughs> oh, hey, yeah. This is why we're... everybody's got a better way? Mm-hmm. And nobody mm -hmm. wants to deal is with everybody... the, the wreckage that's behind you in your wake? That's why. Yep. Yeah. Nobody, nobody, wants to, nobody wants to deal with the actual consequences of their decisions. And again, I am not talking about money anymore this has got nothing to do with money well, this has got to do with people's lives livelihood because you know what i'd say personally i would just make a wide circle around veil no wait a minute i do better <laughs> you know what i would do with veil i'd put fucking yeah. veil in a bubble to keep in its pestilence okay that's what I do to Veil. You guys want to want to do away with all of this stuff? Here, let's seal you up. Let's contain you. Let's keep you in the uh, containment uh, tent, like how they have to do, uh, say, in uh, China for viruses. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think it, it's it's something that's very interesting to me in this last I don't know six months, a year, something like that, where policymakers at all levels right from the local mm -hmm. level all the way up to the federal level have got this uh arrogance about them that says i know what's best and i'll show you what's best and i'm going to take this into my own hands and i don't just mean like left or right or anything like everybody's guilty of this recently yep everybody mm -hmm. is that they're that, that, that we're gonna we're gonna kind of coalesce that power back into the political ranks and less so into the bureaucracy, which again, there's pluses and minuses on both sides, but I mean, I, I think that most most people would say that if you have the right bureaucrats in there, that's not always the case, but if you have the right bureaucrats in place, that those folks can at least keep you on the track, at least keep you on the track. So we'll see what happens here. We'll see what happens. All right. Uh, hey, Matt, it's return time. Let's see if we can pick you up with a little story out of Tennessee. <laughs> We had one hell of a cold snap that came through the south, right? And uh and it was it covered not just the south. I mean, it was everywhere. It got cold as shit this one. Everybody knows what I'm talking about where everybody experienced oh, yeah. Uh, either single digit or negative zero, uh, negative uh, 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 temperatures, and uh, at least in wind chill factor, right? And mm -hmm. uh, if you can imagine, 
grass doesn't really like that at all. And uh, so we got a little article here out of TurfNet. The December cold snap causes issues throughout the transition zone. Um, early in December, temperatures in Knoxville, Tennessee, reached into the 50s and 60s for much of the first half of the month, and the lows were in the 40s and 50s, both of which are about 10 degrees above the historic average. The day before Christmas, the lows plummeted to 4 degrees and remained below freezing for a week. Damage did not take out entire fairways, but has taken out significant swaths of turf. This year is the most significant winter kill I've seen in Tennessee in 10 or 12 years, said Brandon Horvath, uh, who's a turf grass pathologist at the University of Tennessee and a great one at that, too. Uh, it's concentrated areas that have to be resodded, not whole fairways, but it's going to take time to come back. In Tennessee, it wasn't on greens because just about everybody has covers now. Greens where the covers blew off, they're set back. Golf courses throughout much of the transition zone manage several uh, turf types and fairways, including newer and older varieties of Bermuda grass and Zorgia grass. After lows of 40 or more on 8 of 12 days in early to mid-December, temperatures in Knoxville dip below freezing for eight consecutive days, tricking the grass into thinking it might be spring, then cratering to single digits help produce conditions that continue to persist, persist on many golf courses in the transition zone that have Bermuda or Zorgia fairways. USGA green section also suggests encouraging golfers to walk when playing on fully dormant turf. Uh, there are still a lot of 419 and there's a lot of Tahoma and Northbridge and we're seeing damage in some Zorges too. Turf wasn't fully dormant. It was in an in-between stage and in some places it got deemed pretty hard. Damage was variable. Uh, there were areas where there were no problems and other areas where the damage was significant. The turf wakes up, then goes back to bed. That takes carbohydrates to green up. Do that three or four times, and the turf is weakened, and that can set it back. Areas showing the most damage are those affected by high cart traffic during winter play, such as exit and entry points on the fairways, and those where other issues, such as poor drainage, persist. There were issues with where the wheels were constantly in the same area. Then the areas between the wheels are okay. Weaker areas definitely were more susceptible. Turf in areas where other factors played a role, it was if it was too wet or too dry, the cold can be problematic. Horvath says the best way to manage turf that struggles in spring and minimize damage is to control traffic throughout uh, through uh, tactics such as altering fairway entry and exit points. We play on dormant turf all the time, but you have to manage cart traffic. Uh, yeah, I mean, there it is. I think uh, I, I, what's strange is that I, I feel like the majority of the winter kill I have seen that people talk about this spring has oddly been almost entirely limited to um, uh, golf courses. Yeah, you know, delayed green up or anything like that. Yeah, of course, you know, without a doubt, right? You know, we're 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 moving into May. There's a lot of Bermudas that have not fully greened up yet. It is what it is. But as far as like areas that you pull up on and you're like, that is foobard. Uh, I have only seen that draw, driving past uh, uh, sports fields and uh, uh, any kind of athletic field. I feel like has been the, the most significant amount of like, oh, I don't think that's going to green up anytime <laughs> soon uh, so far. Yeah, I, I think the point of this article and leaving it in the returns is that uh, one, it was. I, I think a lot of people I've heard from down in mid south, going down in the southeast, has been, "Oh man, times are tough. You know, stuff's beating up, and looks like we might have some winter kill or some delayed green up, that sort of thing." It's not just you. I think that's the whole point here. Coming out of UT, they actually put out a pretty good letter uh, that was even more functional than what uh, Horvath's interview was here that was really, really good that they sent out preemptively to a lot of the golf courses there in Tennessee, Matt, and kind of highlighted temperature differences and all this other stuff. So 
think the whole point is is that if you're seeing delayed green up, if you're seeing you know some tough tough turf conditions, certain spots, give yourself a little bit of grace. You know, if you have customers on the lawn care side that are seeing that too, show them this. I mean, just say, hey, listen, like it's not just us, right? People that manage it at a much higher level are seeing the same thing that have all the resources in the world to keep this stuff in line and ready to go, you know, come spring. And this spring, I think, honestly, I, I keep saying this over and over again with these cold tolerant Bermuda grasses is that it is uh, the blessing and the scourge of them is that they, you know, they want to green up in much cooler temperatures, which is great. But just like Warbath says in that interview, that takes carbohydrates. And every time we get a week of 80 and then, oh, well, here we go. We're 55 degrees for a high again and back down to the 30s. You know, that yo-yo effect really does take a tool, uh, I think, on these things more so than zero degrees in the wintertime and everything like that, at least from my experience. That's just purely anecdotal. But we'll see nope. this year, Matthew. Uh, hey, you know what? We're almost into Bermuda grass season, so no matter what your ills are, whatever your problems are, you can plug it, you can sprig it, you can sod it, and it's all going to go away by July, ladies and gentlemen. So Shit, you can fert it, too. It's amazing. <laughs> you can spite fert that shit. Get it out of there. So, uh-oh. Let's see here. Uh, What is this? Oh, here we go. What? Oh, go ahead. What? Huh? What? Ray uh, had a crash, so he's... Working on getting his machine back up and, and going, but for now... You've got mail. Well, we, we've got mail. The question is, does the green or SP stain concrete? I see it has a lot of iron in it. Uh, if you, and Ray chimed in. He said if, if it does not get washed off, uh, it, it will. Do not let it sit for a long period of time. Uh, otherwise, it will oxidize. Uh, I've, I've sprayed plenty of it, never had it stained anything. And uh, But, you know, again, I, I also get... 52 inches of rain a year here so you know it is what it is so if you're going to spray it on on concrete one don't minimize what you do spray on concrete but is it going to look like you sprayed ferrous sulfate on concrete no it's not going to look like that uh all right we're going to head out we're going to go hang out with the patrons and let them pick the title of this week's video i want to thank everybody yes. for, for the title of this week's episode i want to thank everybody for listening don't forget listen on your favorite podcast apps if you can, if you're on the uh, the old Apple podcast, leave us a five-star review. And you can say whatever you want in the comments. You can say, uh, Matt has dick breath in the comments and leave a five-star review. Uh, you can say, uh, Ryan DeMay got my wife pregnant and leave a five-star review in the, in the comments. We're perfectly okay with that. That's fine. As long as it's five stars, we don't give a shit what I'm you all comment out of Ziploc bags. Yeah, we're all out of Ziploc bags, but we do have zip ties, and we can, we'll figure it out. We're crafty in this MFR. Uh, y'all have a great night. Don't forget Thursday, Thirsty Thursday, we have Aldo coming on and uh, he's going to be teaching us about welfare and, uh, and whatever a. else that, that we, uh, we learned in the politics channel today. And I uh, can't wait to learn make about it that. Uh, yeah. God almighty. Still, still fucking angry about that too. Love y'all. Bye. Bye. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. Fuck it. <laughs> do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live!